called straight. Every other street might be, it was crooked. I don't know. They had one straight street. At the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he's seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he's done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, isn't that interesting? Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. This is a story of God's grace. Saul, who becomes the Apostle Paul, is a, a life that just shouts, God's grace is upon me. And I want to talk about four aspects of God's grace that we see here in this conversion story. And the first is this, grace is given, not earned. Verse 1, but Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. Verse 3, now as he went on his way, Saul, God's grace breaks into Saul's life while he is hell-bent, determined to crush the church. That's the grace of God. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God does not wait for us to earn his grace. He gives it as a gift. And you and I, we have not earned the grace of God. We were not smart enough to see in the scriptures who Jesus is and, and, and respond to it. It's all God, by his own initiative, breaking into our lives. Not, maybe not as externally dramatic as the Apostle Paul, but it's the same principle. God's grace is undeserved favor. And so what is our response to it? Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Now the Apostle Paul writes, For by grace... You have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not of a result of works. So that no one may boast. And of course he's talking first and foremost about himself. God gifts us. His grace. He by his own initiative breaks in and saves us. And so we have absolutely nothing to boast about. So what do we do in, in, in light of this kind of grace? We don't boast. We praise. And we worship. We say thank you. And so I want to pause. Give us a time to silently, as we consider this verse on the screen, 
Consider God's grace to you. Humble yourself and thank him. Second aspect of grace I see in this story is that the recipients of grace must become givers of grace. I want you to think about how difficult it was for uh, the early Christians to receive Saul. What was Ananias' first response? Uh, Ananias, verse 3, answered the Lord. Uh, Lord, do you not know who this guy is? <laughs> Uh, we're, are we talking about the same guy here? Uh, do you forget how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem? In the early church, if you had asked somebody, who is you know, the, the church's number one enemy? Who is most determined to crush the, the, this new faith? Who is most opposed to Christianity? Everyone would say, oh yeah, it's that solitarchist guy. Uh, he, and yet, and so then God pours out his grace on Saul. And then God asks his people to respond. That's what he's asking Ananias to do. Ananias, Saul, I know who he is. I poured out my grace upon him, and now I want you to call him brother. That's a high calling, isn't it? But that's what, that's what we're called to. Those who receive grace must become givers of grace. Jesus makes it extremely clear when he says that uh, if you wish to be forgiven, you must be willing to forgive. There had to have been, there were people uh, in Jerusalem, Christians, who had uh, been personally brutalized and had people they loved who had been brutalized uh, by the by Saul of Tarsus. In fact, we read in verse 26, I didn't read this, but it says, and when, when he had come to Jerusalem, naming Saul, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. They had a hard time. Uh, we do. There are some people we just have a hard time believing. That, that, that they can, they can been be recipients of God's grace. But Barnabas took him, brought him to the apostles, declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord. And then they receive him. There were, there were Christians in Jerusalem who maybe they had seen a, a brother, sister, a father, a mother, a son or a daughter that Saul had hauled off to prison, had beaten, thrown into some dark cave, maybe you know, almost starved him to death. And now they're being asked to receive Paul as a brother, to acknowledge that God has poured out his grace upon him, has changed him. And now he's to be called one of us with all the privileges of being a brother in Christ. Maybe there's somebody like that in your life, and maybe you have been resisting and I think what the Holy Spirit wants, wants you to acknowledge today is that you have been a recipient of God's grace. You need to turn around and give that to others. 
without exception. It's a high, it's a high calling. But God can give you that grace too. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Here's the Apostle Paul later in life talking about grace. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Take a moment of silence. Ponder and respond to that verse. third aspect of grace I see in this story is that grace has a purpose. God did not pour out his grace upon Saul without a purpose. His purpose was uh, to free Saul from uh, the, uh, the penalty that was coming his way, but ultimately to be a, uh, a light to the Gentiles. Verse 15, but the Lord said to Ananias, go, for he, Saul, is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Paul uh, received God's grace for a purpose. And, and God, he was not to squander it. God had uh, something he wanted Paul to do. Some good work that God had ordained before the foundation of the world for him to do. And you know what? He has that for you and me. God does not pour out his grace upon us. Uh, just for us to uh, sit on it. But he wants us to make use of it. And God has a purpose for you and for me. Once again, here's Paul. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship. That's every follower of Christ. You and I are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Beforehand, before the foundation of the world, before you accepted Christ, before God's grace was poured out in your life. Are you, are you uh, making use of, your, uh, of, of the grace God's given you? Are you walking in all the good works that God has for you? Take a moment to read and respond to this verse. I don't, want to, uh, I don't want to miss out on any of the good things that God has planned for me because I'm overly enamored with this world and pursuing it uh, or not fully engaged with the things of God. Fourth aspect uh, and final aspect of grace that I see in this text is this. No one is beyond the grace of God. I think this is the... Uh, the bit, if there's one kind of overarching point of this story, that's it. No one is beyond the grace of God, not even Saul of Tarsus. If he had asked a Christian early on, you know, 
Who is the farthest person, you know, the person that you least imagine it's possible that they'll become a Christian? It's all of Tarsus. And yet he does. No one is beyond the grace of God. Now, I have made uh, this mistake a few times in my heart. Once with a Christian, well, at least once with a Christian, at least once with an unbeliever. And with a Christian, there was a sin issue in their life. And I prayed for a, lo a long time that they would be freed from that. And they weren't. And I gave up praying. I got tired. I just stopped believing. And then, then there was a non-Christian who was just so adamantly opposed to the gospel that, again, I gave up praying. I never really prayed that hard anyways. I just was kind of like, eh, they're never coming to Jesus. <laughs> After I stopped praying on both of, these, both of these people, the grace of God broke through. And it was... Uh, it was a um, educational to me. And I was chagrined <laughs> that I had given up on God. Intellectually, no. If you'd asked me intellectually, of course, God can change anybody. Emotionally, I'd given up. And then God, who never gives up, broke through with his grace. And I, I, I watched in amazement as this Christian was set free from the, the power of sin. Walks in freedom to today. And this completely hardened cynic is now a follower of Jesus Christ whose life is being transformed. And every time I get a chance to hang out with this guy, it's like, who are you? He keeps changing. God keeps changing him. There is absolutely nobody who is beyond the grace of God. And maybe you've stopped praying You've given up. Be encouraged. That person isn't dead yet. They're not beyond the grace of God. And maybe it's you. You know, I, uh, maybe you think, I've run too far for too long. I'm beyond the grace of God. And if that's you, the answer is no, you're not. No, you're not. Most famous verse in the Bible, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him, and that whoever means absolutely whoever. Even the people that we, maybe in our own hearts, are like, please, Lord, not him, not her. I want him to suffer. But that's, actually, that's very bad. We shouldn't think that. <laughs> but we have those thoughts sometimes, and the Spirit of God needs to convict us. I didn't plan this, but, you know, there was a person... Uh, in my life one time, who I, I believed had really hurt me. And they had. They'd done me wrong. And it was a, another Christian. And I was, I, I was about to pray. I started praying an imprecatory prayer. That's a technical word for God, punish them. And uh, they've done me wrong. And uh, make them pay. And I started down that road in the spirit of God. Uh, I, just, I just knew God was talking to me. And I... Uh, he checked me and said, do you really want me to, do you really want to pray that? Is not Jesus' death upon the cross sufficient payment for you for that? You've been wronged. That was absolutely wrong. But are you not willing to let Jesus' death be sufficient payment for that sin? That was revolutionary for me. And I, fortunately, it was, uh, 
the Lord gave me the wisdom to say, okay. And I could let it go. And I did not demand justice for that. Not in my own, in fact, the only prayer I prayed was, may, may my brother learn from that and not do it to somebody else. That's my only prayer. And, I, and you know, I had, that, I had that moment of hesitation where I'm like, I'll never get to see them suffer? What? <laughs> There's no satisfaction! And I'm like, oh, yes, there is. Jesus satisfied that. So let me conclude with a, with a story. And I think this story summarizes what life is like living in the, under the grace of God. Because when you, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ and you become a child of God and you're adopted into his family, your whole life is a life of God's grace being poured into it. And God's grace, by the way, if you want to define it, I think of it in two ways. Uh, number one, it's unconditional favor. And number two, it's divine empowerment. And so we talk about, you know, the grace of God that I didn't deserve, God's favor upon me that's undeserved. But it's also, I need grace to forgive. I need divine empowerment to do ministry. And, and so, uh, but anyways, this story talks about how, what life is like under the grace of God. <clears throat> there wasn't... A little girl, she was adopted. And, but the adoptive family treated her a little different from the biological children. And this family regularly went to Walt Disney World. And, but, the, but the adopted child never got to go. They always left the adopted child with a family friend and they took the biological children to Disney World. In the mind of the little girl, it was because she'd done something wrong. Well, this adoption wasn't working out for this family, and so they dissolved it. And the little girl got adopted a second time. And in the second family, it was a Christian family, and it's, uh, I believe the father's name was John Talbot. Somewhere along that, she's now eight, she was eight years old when she gets adopted by the second family. And somehow John hears this story, maybe from his little daughter, about how she's never gotten to go to Disney World. So she saw pictures of Disney World. She heard the stories of how magical it was. She never got to go. Well, he was determined. I am taking my daughter to Disney World. So he announces to the family, we're going to Disney World. He said, about a month before we head to Disney World, my new daughter uh, just begins to act up. She is just like a terror for, for a month. Said at one point I sat her down and I I, I was confronting her about her behavior and she said I know, I know I don't get to go to Disney World. It's like what? It's, are you a part of this family? She said yes. Then you're going to Disney World. Now we're gonna of course I'm gonna have to discipline your behavior, but you get to go to Disney World because you're part of the family. So she, he said, unfortunately, that talk didn't fix things. She still was just acting up up until the moment we went to Disney World. <laughs> but after the first day, he said, we got back to the hotel. He said, I had a different little child on my hands. I was tucking her in at night, prayed for her, uh, asked her, how did you like Disney World? And she just sort of sighed contentedly and snuggled into her teddy bear. And then 
after pause, she looked up. She goes, Daddy, I went to Disney World. And not because I'm good, but because I'm yours. That's, that's life in the kingdom of God. Because we are his. Let's pray. God, we spend our lives trying to understand, plumb the depths of your goodness toward us. Why in the world the creator of the universe adopts us into his family, calls us his own, pours out grace upon our life even though we don't deserve it. And Lord, we just, we're just entering into this relationship, just tasting its goodness, and we get to be with you for all eternity, God. Everything that we have, uh, that you have, you say is, is ours. Lord, if there is someone here who has not yet responded to your grace, poured out in your son Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life, willingly went to the cross, hung, bled, suffered, died to pay the penalty for our sins. And then he burst forth from the grave on the third day and now is seated at the right hand of the Father and someday will return to take to heaven with him all who are his own. And Lord, whosoever believes shall be saved. Lord, if there's anyone here today who has not yet believed, who has not yet responded to Jesus Christ. Draw them today. Don't let them leave here. In fact, if that's you, uh, I ask that at the end of the service, please come see me. I'd love to pray with you. Uh, witness your, your uh, decision to follow Jesus today and then talk about some next steps. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen.